Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Yes, radio, theater of the mind, use your imagination. No, he's not naked. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. In the, uh, well, I guess we're, we're, we're at the beginning of the fall pipe show season. So in tonight's show, we've got a uh, trip report. Yeah, I went to the uh, NASPC show in uh, Dublin or Columbus, Ohio this weekend. My guest tonight is Rabbi Ira Stone and uh, pipe smoking rabbi and uh, and just a just a great guy so a lot of fun to meet him and uh, discuss and get to know him better uh, and then we have music by request mailbag and rant all that coming up in tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show so uh, Hey, it is August, and uh, that means the beginning of pipe show season. So, uh, as you'll hear in the trip report, we got uh, got to drive to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, in order to get ready, you know, last week or uh, two weeks ago now. Well, I guess last week, yeah. Um, it was time to replace the air filter on my Mini. So. Uh, Little Blue, instead of getting a uh, standard air filter, I had to get the uh, cold air, uh, the, the cold air induction system with the K&N filter on her. So uh, she's got a new little purr and a new little rumble to her. And, uh, and of course, you know, when you get a K&N air filter, you're supposed to put the K&N sticker on the back of her. And so we did that. And, uh, you know, that I guess that's one of the, uh, one of the fun things of owning a Mini is uh, it, unless you're just using it as a mode of transportation uh you're really never done really never done accessorizing or trying new stuff or doing new things uh anyway we got to uh we got to take a little blue on the road and uh play with the new uh cold air system so that was a lot of fun all right uh reminder as uh, as the fall weather is starting to come upon us in some places make sure you're outside smoking your pipe where pipe smokers can see you and uh, if you're not old enough to smoke yet, you know what? Turn the radio show off. Should have said that a few minutes ago. But uh, anyway, yeah, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to hear this fine show. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. are back on the pipes magazine radio show in just a few minutes ira stone but in the meantime in pipe parts so i went to the columbus naspc pipe show 
We left the house, and when I say we, I brought my wife along with me. And uh, we left the house on Friday morning about yeah, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, took it easy, waited for traffic to die down. And it's just a, it, it's an absolutely beautiful drive through the Smoky Mountains, the Appalachians, the across the Blue Ridge Parkway, the Appalachian Trail, all that. And then you get up into West Virginia where it gets even prettier. Uh, and then when you come out of West Virginia... You're in Ohio, which is pretty much flat farm country. Uh, not real exciting. Kind of looks like a uh, John Cougar Mellencamp video, but then you get into Columbus. So uh, we get there Friday at about uh, about 6 o'clock, and we uh, check in, and the show is already going because uh, what they do is they start the show at 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon. And so you got the, you got the Friday evening, and then you got all day Saturday. On uh, on Friday, most of the vendors were there and set up. Some weren't quite there yet, so there was a reason to get up on Saturday. Uh, but again, then most po- most folks, even even considering the fact that it was raining, uh, most of us hung out on the uh, on the patio of the bar at the hotel there, and they had tables and chairs and umbrellas set up and some hors d'oeuvres, and you know we kind of hung out there. Uh, my routine with the Columbus Pipe Show is to, uh, because they do open up on Friday, again, I've got a list of things that I'm looking for, and in particular, what I was looking for this time was some uh, some tobaccos that weren't exactly vintage, but had a couple years of age on them, and the, the reason I'm doing that is so that I can then... Yeah, all right, buy a tin that's got, you know, two or maybe four years of age on it now. And then, you know, see if I want to buy some more and let the, and age them myself. Uh, so I had, a, I had a list, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the list is. But the first round of saying hello to everybody and getting around the room took about an hour and a half to skim real quickly and look for the tobaccos that I wanted. Uh, that was Friday evening, and then... We uh, and then again we hung out till about midnight and there was uh, eating and drinking and you know hanging out with uh, a couple folks from the industry that I hadn't seen because I'm no longer in the industry so I got caught up on a few things and you know some scuttlebutt from the trade show over the summer and then uh, and then just some friends from the Columbus area and then midnight came and it was off to bed so actually stayed right there at the hotel for for a hotel and for 90 bucks a night that's that's a decent room um got up in the morning and enjoyed the fact that i didn't have a table and didn't have any anywhere to go so you know got to sleep in it was a long friday so i got to sleep in take it easy and yeah have a have snacks in the room and then a and then an early lunch or brunch uh, but I got down to the show floor by about, I don't know, 10.45, 11 o'clock, walked around. And again, I was, uh, you know, so this was a more detailed look around and getting to see folks and, uh, you know, stopping and talking for 10 minutes to somebody at a table and then moving further down and looking for uh, uh, new and unknown pipe makers to come to the show. And we'll, we'll shorten this down to saying... Uh, this year's show seemed like there was four or five new pipe makers that I've never that I'd never seen before and got a chance to look at their stuff. 
Um, a couple of the noted pipe makers of usual were not there. And uh, it seemed like this year there was yeah, it's still dealing with the McClellan fallout. And when I mean still still dealing with the McClellan fallout, I mean there were still people that were trying to sell tins of the 40th anniversary McClellan stuff for 40, 50 bucks. Um, almost every McClellan tin of tobacco, it, it didn't matter what it was, it was 25 or 30 dollars for a 50 gram tin. There did not seem to be much other in the way of tobacco. Or if there was some other stuff in tobacco, there was just some old stuff that I'd never seen before, didn't recognize. And I hate to say it, but just because it's an old product that probably wasn't really popular at all when it came out, it's not worth $75 to $100 for a 50-gram tin now or a 2-ounce tin. Uh, if it's bad stuff from long ago, it's probably not much better now. Um but I did again. I got to. I picked up a couple of tins of things to uh, to play with, and the one uh, the one exciting find that I had was um, a pouch of McBaron Golden Extra Ready Rub, which has got to date back to the late '70s or '80s, and it still feels moist. And it was three bucks. Um, then we go out for our dinner on Saturday night. The usual, uh, the annual dinner with Levon Eric, a couple of friends from the Columbus area, and then some uh, folks from uh, Chris and Nicole from Kentucky come up. And there was eleven of us, including uh, uh, Phil and Pat Morgan from Missouri Mearsham. So we all go to our uh, Turkish restaurant, hang out there, eat, drink, and then head back to the hotel for uh, more smoking and drinking. And then midnight came around and off we, we said our goodbyes and went to bed. Uh, the bonus part on the back end of this trip was we were going to uh, down to Versailles, Kentucky, uh, which is in the Lexington and Frankfurt area, right in the heart of the Bourbon Trail, to visit my wife's brother and his wife and kids. And uh, I might have um, bought some bourbon. So... The fact that I only spent $30 at the pipe show was fine because I knew we were going to make a few stops in uh, bourbon country. And you know what? That was that was a, a good use of my pipe show funds, shall we say. And I can uh, highly recommend if you like bourbon or if you like whiskey or anything like that, you, you don't have to be a big drinker to really enjoy going and visiting the distilleries in Kentucky. You can hit two or three in a day. And they're all, yeah, they're all kind of within a hundred miles of each other. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, highly suggest that. All right. That's the NASPC show. And if you're wondering what other pipe shows are coming up, go to pipesmagazine.com, click on pipe shows or, uh, ask your friends can't, uh, you know, again, the time and the camaraderie of just hanging out at a pipe show is an awful lot of fun. And for me, I get to see stuff that I wouldn't normally see. All right, in just a minute, Ira Stone. This is Internet Radio. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, 
the 2015 collection and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, joining us is a relatively new listener, but a longtime pipe smoker and a uh, and a, a fairly prolific author and a rabbi. So, uh, Rabbi Iris Stone, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. Great to be here, Brian. So you you reached out to me in particularly the area of of uh, of Jewish law that you're studying has got a great interest to me. But first let, let let's get the uh, let's get the pipe smoking fun stuff going. Uh, when did you first start smoking a pipe? When I was 16 years old. Uh, that would have been about 1967 thereabouts and and what kind what kind of drew you to the pipe was it uh did you have a relative that used to well i mean i started smoking cigarettes when i was 13 Uh, i used to steal them from my father's dresser we had a cousin who worked at a major d as a major d in a big hotel in new york and he would get these little four packs of viceroy cigarettes and my father would stock up on them as emergency cigarettes. He smoked Pall Mall. Um, but um, my uncle smoked a pipe, and I think it was just a matter of thinking that a pipe was kind of, uh, you know, cool and int- intellectual. I was, I went, in, I started college when I was seventeen, so I guess I was getting ready for that. I don't know. I just, you know. Huck Finn, Mark Twain, Sherlock Holmes, it just, uh, uh, you know, it it just seemed like a thing to do. I I love tobacco. That's the thing. I'm a tobacco freak. (laughs) I did not give up cigarettes until some years later. I still chew. I I use Copenhagen. Uh, So my nicotine needs are not fulfilled by the pipe. I just love smoking it two or three times a day when I can. So you are a uh, you're a you're a total tobacco aficionado. That is correct, for better or for worse. <laughs> well, uh, did you did you just start out with a traditional uh, corner store or drugstore pipe and and tobacco? No, I remember it. I I had a, took a, a road trip with a couple of my buddies. I guess we had just graduated high school, and we went to Montreal. Now, my memory is not what it used to be, but I think it was either in Montreal or Quebec, there was a Dunhill store. And we went to the Dunhill store, and I bought a pipe. (laughs) It was not a a Dunhill, though I called it my Dunhill for many years. Um, And maybe it wasn't even a Dunhill store, because my memory is not so good, but that's what I always remember it as. Maybe they just had some Dunhill pipes, but it was a heritage pipe which I just recently looked up and actually was a pipe made by the Frank company in New York. Eventually became part of the K. Woody brand, but this is before the K. Woody merger. So this was a S. Frank pipe called the Heritage. And I still have it and I still smoke it. It's a panel billiard 
sandblast with some smooth rings around the bowl, uh, and it's a fine pipe. Did um, did pipe smoking immediately become a part of your daily routine? Pretty much. Uh, I mean, I've had times where I've taken breaks from it for a couple of years when I get busy or you know, when I'm, I'm not in a place where it's convenient, not on a day-to-day basis, but I mean in a kind of cultural-based way. I mean, uh, just sort of the carrying all the stuff around and, and keeping my pouch and lighting it and you know, for some years, I like everyone else, I did have trouble keeping the pipe lit unless I was really focused. So, I would I would kind of drop it for a few months at a time and then pick it up. And but it's pretty pretty oh. much been part of my life. I mean, my wife now of almost fifty years bought me a pipe before we were married, and then you know, uh, that's pretty much I've been smoking a pipe, and I I smoke corn cob pipes. I go through stages. At one time, I had over 150 pipes. I've gotten rid of most of them and pared down to the 15 or 20 that I really like. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of fun? I guess as a pipe smoker, for me, it's kind of fun to uh, to rediscover or you know go through a phase where I've I dig into my pipe cabinet personally and find a couple of pipes that I haven't smoked in a while and and kind of re get to know them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in this recently in this project of getting rid of a bunch of them, I, I did that and had to decide which ones to send off to sell and which ones to keep. So I had to smoke them all. But my, my first two pipes was the, the Heritage was the first one. And then some months later, I bought a Wilkie pipe from the Wilkie pipe store. Uh, then I bought a second Wilkie pipe, which I no longer have. But the first a Wilkie billiard, I still smoke. Uh, and and I got to tell you, if a girlfriend buys you a pipe before, you know, when she's still your girlfriend, that's automatically a keeper in my books. Yeah, well, it's worked out okay. <laughs> All right. So when did when did you decide you were going to go uh, go to rabbinical school and become a rabbi? Oh well, you know, you, you it's just, I'll give you the it, the shortest part of a long story, but I I, I um. I grew up in New York and Queens. I, I came from a sort of semi-traditional conservative Jewish home, not terribly observant, but knowledgeable. Kind of dropped all of it when I was a teenager, like most teenagers. Um, and in the 60s, I became very involved in social action, civil rights, anti-war stuff. I dropped out of college. And I was working... Uh, for Jewish Family Services of Long Island, and I was an outreach drug worker. I worked on the streets of Queens with teenagers hanging out. And the, our job was to kind of make friends with these kids because we sort of looked like them and get them into, you know, help them find resources if they needed social, social workers or doctors or whatever. And um, the, the, the only place we could take them to meet with the social workers where they felt comfortable was a little room we rented from the synagogue in Bayside, Queens. And um, a lot of the kids were, 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 were cutting Hebrew high school when they were hanging out. So I would sit on the street, literally on the street, and I would read their books because I was out there for hours. 
And I, I came across a book by Abraham Joshua Heschel, a great Jewish thinker, and um, that really turned me on to what I, um, you know, kind of remembered as my earlier Jewish background. And uh, I started meeting with the rabbi there, and uh, within a few years, I won't go into all the details, I was uh, back in college, graduated in religious studies, uh, now, by this time, I'm at the University of California in Santa Barbara. So I was draw, drawn to Santa Barbara by the by the time I lived in. Um, I got to Santa Barbara just a little too late to help burn down the bank. Um, but I had been involved in many such things in New York. Uh, and, then, um, and then I had to move to L.A. when I graduated college, and I started the West Coast branch of the Jewish Theological Seminary there, which used to be called the University of Judaism. It's changed names and stuff now. Uh, and that's when I gave up cigarettes, by the way. I, I decided I couldn't smoke cigarettes and breathe the air in L.A. I could do one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> well, growing up in L.A. during that same time, I can, I can tell you, we used to refer to the University of UC Santa Barbara is uh, the University of Surf's Up, dude. Uh, oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. I loved it. Um, and, and, you know, by that time I was really there to work. And so so the fact that it had a quarter system allowed me to catch up really quickly by going straight through four quarters a year. Because um, uh, by that time I was married, had a kid on the way, and was needed to get through school. So I'm I'm assuming being in L.A. and being an active pipe smoker, you probably went to the original tinderbox in Santa Monica. I did, um, and I I remember a couple of other pipe stores, but I don't remember where or when. But um, you know, um, my my pipe store geography is more etched in my head from New York. Yeah. Uh, what kind of tobaccos were you were you smoking or were you drawn to? Uh, I remember early on I was smoking Mixture 79. I have no idea from now years later what it even tastes like, but I, I remember that was my first sort of regular blend. Uh, I know I tried a few Dunhill blends like Elizabethan and Early Morning Pipe. I tried very hard for years thinking that it was de rigueur, to learn how to smoke Latakias until I finally felt old enough to say, I hate Latakia. <laughs> um, and so began to really discover what I like most, which is Burley, Virginia. Is my, you know, I like some Virginia Perique, a lot of them, and I, I, I've just loved some. Right now, I, my smoking, uh, you know, Haunted Bookshop and, and, and Cairo, GLP's Cairo. Um, uh, I guess when I started the Pipe Club and got to know Bob Runowski and did some work with tasting and stuff, I, I, I came to really appreciate Burley. So let, let's talk about that. You you founded the Pipe Club in Philadelphia? Co-founded, yeah. Christopher Morley Pipe Club. Um, 1996 or early 97 uh, <clears throat> I was walking home from the synagogue at about 9 o'clock at night 
on a rainy night and I was smoking my pipe and I passed a guy who was just saying goodbye to somebody in a row house uh, that I was on my way home and he called out to me and asked me what I was smoking and I don't remember what I was smoking but it was clearly a uh, a decent you know tobacco not not cherry blend somebody and and so he was a pipe smoker too his name is Bob Page uh, and he owned owned he's now retired a classical guitar store here in Center City Philadelphia um, and we talked for a while on the on the street corner and then I think we met again smoking our pipes probably a uh, 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 on a lunch hour, we both ended up in Rittenhouse Square in the park when you could still smoke in the park. And um, we got talking, and he started telling me about a pipe club that he had tried to start that had failed. And I said I would be interested, and we invited one other guy, Dr. George Amram, uh, who you may know, yep. a very big collector. And the three of us met in the back of Bob's guitar store, and that was our first Christopher Morley meeting. <laughs> and then I don't know how we got a couple other guys involved, but we did. I don't, I guess each of us knew somebody and invited somebody. And we eventually started meeting at a Chris's jazz club, which is, a, uh, we would meet like from six 30 to nine before they actually started the music. And we could eat and drink and smoke in the, in the restaurant. Then that became illegal. So they moved the, club out to some suburban location where they could smoke and I gave, couldn't go there so I was kind of out of it for a couple of years and then they moved back into Center City where we've been ever since for many years now which is a private club called the Pen and Pencil Club and it's one of those uh, private clubs that Philadelphia has and this one is technically limited to people who are in the journalism and, and um, writers um, but we don't have to join, although uh, many of us do. Uh, and that's a private club, so they we can we can smoke there, and they have a they, they have a chef and prepares food, and there's a bar, and, and it's very very comfortable. And that's where we've been. And now, I've been a, a my schedule was uh, very difficult at nights because I worked pretty much twenty four seven as a clergy person. Uh, so I didn't I wasn't that active the last five or six or seven years but now that i'm retired i'm kind of back in the fold that is a uh, perfect place for us to take a break when we come back we'll talk more about uh, uh we'll, we'll talk more about judaism and uh and pipes and i want to hear more about the pipe club so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, 
and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, the pipe-smoking Rabbi Ira Stone. Uh, Ira, in particular, in the in your early days of pipe smoking, was there a pipe that you were that was like the ultimate? What was your dream pipe? Um, you know, I still don't have my dream pipe. Um, I guess that I always wanted to kind of fulfill that first trip to Canada and get a, a really nice Dunhill. And I suppose I could now, but I've been there's for the most part, most of my pipe collection now is devolved to pipes made by single artisans. And I'd have to buy the Dunhill on the estate market. And I'm leery of that. So, cause I don't know enough about what I'm doing. So you, you still haven't found it quite yet, but uh, did the the earlier? Well, I mean, obviously, if I had if I had a dream pipe these days, it would be something like a Bonord or a you know a, a, an Everson. I mean, those are just like in a different universe that I live in. And uh, but yeah, I mean, if I could get one of those, that would be my dream pipe. Yeah. Uh, in the early days of the pipe club, was there a theme behind each meeting? Was there a presentation at each meeting, or was it just pipe guys gathering? You know, we've been meeting now, I think, over twenty years, and and it's the most boring pipe club in the in the whole country. <laughs> um, and it just seems to be that's the way everybody wants it. It's not organized. We have one guy who coordinates the emails to make sure everybody knows when the meeting is because sometimes the club has to move us around on the schedule. Um, there's no program. Everybody shows up, smokes, talks, eats, and goes home. I've sometimes, because of my organizational bent, thought about trying to get it more, you know, like having, you know, dinners or uh, smoking contests or getting speakers in but you know I do enough of that kind of programming in my real life I decided I did not want to become that <laughs> so I just I just go and the guy uh, yeah I mean we don't do a show we don't do I mean occasionally there's like a trip that guys will go up to, um, to to the New York pipe show together or sometimes they'll do other things but um, very little programming all right, let's let's switch back to uh, switch back to religion and uh, explain to us the the Musar movement. And am I am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes. Um, so um, Musar is a uh, term that that denotes a literature, a basically ethical literature that has existed in Jewish tradition for about a thousand years. Um, basically, it it it, it 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 comes to address the problem, which is that because Judaism is a, a religion with many laws and many rituals, it's very easy for people to fall into believing that doing the law and the ritual is the end goal of being a, a good quote unquote good Jew. When in fact it's the ritual and the and the law which is intended to transform you into a good person. 
So there's this, there's always this, this kind of dichotomy between is my responsibility to fulfill the law or is my responsibility to be a good person? Judaism believes the latter, but it also believes that, that because of our ego, because of our becoming self-absorbed, we need the ritual and we need the law to point us in the right direction. So Musar was a literature that would remind people that they should not think of doing the ritual as the end goal. They certainly should do the ritual, but they should keep in mind that the end goal was being a good person and, and serving the, the needs of their neighbor. Uh, and then around in the middle of the 19th century, the founder of the Musar movement uh, kind of asked this, an, another level of questions, which is, uh, if everybody knows what's right, and if we have all these books that tell us what we should do, how come we're still not so good? Uh, and he uh, he came to the conclusion that it was because we have forces inside of us, internal forces, which we're not aware of that control our behavior. Um, very similar, though no connection to the kind of work that Freud and other psychologists were doing at the end of the 19th century. Uh, and so he devised a program of kind of self-introspection and, and breaking up the the, the obsession that we have with our ego and allowing ourselves to begin a project of transformation. And so I've been involved for the last oh, 25, 30 years with trying to use that movement as a way of renewing Jewish life in America. I'm not alone. There are other people doing it. Um, but, um, you know, I've written a couple of books and I had an organization uh, called the Center for Contemporary Musar, which um, organizes Musar practice groups in communities around the country. We have some, uh, we train teachers and the teachers go out and we, we do a lot of distance learning and um, et cetera. So that's the short, I, I don't know if, how clear that was, but that's well, let me... uh, in a nutshell. Let me ask you this, because I've got, you know, obviously being Jewish, I've got a little bit of a background and knowledge in my own religion, but I am in no way an expert. Uh, in 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 Judaism, there is really no heaven or hell. Is so that would the Musar teachings be kind of equivalent to uh, to what the Christians teach of living a sinless life? Yeah. Okay. So I won't address the first prem first part of your statement because that would take us for hours. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 misconception uh, uh, foisted upon Jews by um, Enlightenment Judaism that we don't believe in an afterlife uh, is one of the most common misconceptions that Jews have about their own religion. Uh, but uh, as far as the second part of your question, um, yes, the goal of Jewish life would be holiness, which I think is similar to sinlessness. Yeah. Uh, uh, understanding in both cases, I think, that that's, that's understood to mean um, putting aside the needs of your individual uh, ego in order to make sure that you're taking care of the other, the, your, the other people. 
So as a uh, as a Baptist minister, my a friend of mine said that uh, uh, one time he said that in in his preachings he puts Jesus first, then others second, and then himself third or you third, and that creates joy. Okay, I would put the other first. Yeah. Um, and um, and that probably be where I stop. <laughs> I, I think that you know, uh, God is in, in, for me, and I'm not talking about Judaism. I don't want to you know project, but from my understanding of Judaism is that God is kind of a placeholder. Um, God is not a, not a being, but a placeholder for an, an experience. And that, and that experience is, is a kind of indefinable, indefinable experience of joy, which is uh, accessible through um, doing for the other. And going and, and hooking it back to your first statement, frankly, that's in my work. That's how I define the after the the, uh, the world to come, which is a Jewish phrase, Olam Haba is not the same as heaven, but it is similar in, in, in traditional Jewish texts. Uh, and my definition of the world to come is that it's not at the end of life, but it's a dimension within life. And we experience the world to come when we do good for others. We experience moments of transcendence, you might say. Where can we find your books available for purchase? Uh, they're all on Amazon. So we just, there we, are four we, books of theological writing and a couple of other books. Um, yeah, that's the best place. Because I, I think, one again, one of the things that I love the most about the pipe smoking community is there are a lot of people of higher callings and a lot of higher thinkers in our little group of uh, uh, our little population of the world than than you get out in the general population. Uh, so we just look it up under Ira Stone, S-T-O-N-E, and uh, you, can, you can see them all there. Uh, do you prefer to smoke a pipe while you're sitting and writing? I used to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's in, it's so hard to smoke a pipe these days. It really is. My, uh, we, we moved into a you know, a condominium, and there's just no place that, that I can smoke, or we don't have a terrace, so I have to go outside. We have some nice grounds in, where we live, and, and I'll go out on the bench, and almost every night there'll be another pipe smoker or cigar smoker joining me, and, you know, sometimes we bring some wine or beer or whatever. Uh, in the winter, I, I, I have, the only place I can go to smoke in the winter is uh, I go into town, and I after lunch I'll stop in at Holt's Tobacco Store, and there's a lounge um, and, and I'll smoke there, but, uh, to, to be honest, that's one of the reasons that for a couple of years I wasn't smoking the pipe anymore because I just couldn't find pipes. It, it, it does get tough if you don't have a, if you don't have your own personal, you know, little on a uh, little safe spot to, to smoke a pipe, especially living in Philadelphia where the weather, <laughs> the weather is not wonderful most of the year. Yeah, well, I don't mind the heat and the humidity. Uh, it's perfectly smoking for me. That's fine. But it's when it gets really cold, and then you're, and I put the pipes away for a couple of months. 
Rabbi, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. And then at the end of it, I got a special request. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite pipe? At the moment, it is a wonderful little uh, pipe by Jerry Crawford. And what is your favorite tobacco? GLP's Cairo. Uh, is that, and that's a Virginia Perique with some burley in it? Yeah. So that, that, yeah. May, be, that may be one I'll put on my list. Um, what is your favorite drink? Uh, mostly bourbon. Well, so far we have absolutely everything in common. Uh, <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? A book. Uh, any particular type, or are you just all over the place? Uh, I read a lot. Um, I When I'm relaxing, it'll probably be a mystery book. If I'm thinking, it'll be a theology book. And not finally, but finally for most people, uh, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Yes, I do. So um, I taught theology at the Jewish Theological Seminary, I guess for eight or ten years back in the early late 90s, early 2000s. And I had a second year theology group. Now, you know, when I went to the seminary, a couple of my, many of my professors smoked pipes, and we smoked in the classroom, and it was just, didn't matter. Um, when I got back there as a teacher, you could still smoke in the quadrangle, but you know, obviously not in the classrooms. So I would be seen by students smoking my pipe uh, after lunch or whatever, and a bunch of my students young guys in their second year seminary asked me to teach them how to smoke a pipe. So I took a group of about four or five students. We went down to Matt Sherman's. I picked out, you know, inexpensive pipes for them to buy. A little bit better than basket pipes, but not much. Uh, picked out some tobacco for everybody, and then we went back to the seminary, and I had a, gave them a lesson, packing and lighting and smoking. I have to tell you, unfortunately, I don't think any of them stuck with it because of the times we live in, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Still sounds like fun just going down to Nat Sherman with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of guys and picking out pipes. Yeah. And then uh, and then finally in uh, Hebrew, if you could just say uh, just say a greeting to all of our listeners and uh, maybe just a, a a quick blessing. Oh. Uh, I didn't expect that one. Okay. Lekulam shalom uvracha lekol mishpachtem v'koha olam. How's that? Off the top of my head. I said something like, uh, to all of you peace, to all of you blessing, to all of your families, and to all of the world. Amen. Rabbi, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, and I'm I'm gonna poke around your readings and and learn more about me. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll be back in just a minute. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over ten years. 
My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at SmokingPipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. So uh, do, uh, if you're interested, check out uh, Rabbi Stone's writings. And, uh, you know, just a, just another great guy in our community. Another uh, another person way above my caliber and, uh, and still willing to talk to me. All right, for music, uh, David Galehouse sent in this recommendation. It's from the Transatlantic Recordings of Billy Conley, also known as uh, Sir William Conry, uh, Connolly, Conry. Let's try that again. Sir William Connolly, Scottish comedian, musician, uh, actor, and uh, funny guy. Uh, so you can listen to listen to a lot of. But this one's called uh, Silky Pajamas, and it's got a few lines in it that I think we will like. I'm lying home, baby, in my 
silk pajamas. I'm not any bolder. In fact, I'm getting older. When you think I'm drinking, I'm sitting thinking. No more gay life with the boys. I'll sit down with my pipe and call the Royce. No more red wine. Oh no, these times are gone. That had me uh, sitting and pondering for a moment. Uh, check out all of Sir Billy Conley on uh, Stitcher. That's where I found him. Transmission begins from Money Penny. In the mailbag, besides all the uh, wonderful comments that I got from the people at the uh, at the show this weekend about how much they're enjoying the yeah the show in general, but the uh, story time with Alan Schwartz. Uh, <laughs> A couple of the comments are that, uh, you know, I don't talk too much during those. Well, I've edited myself out of a lot of them, and I've just cut in the parts that were absolutely necessary. But I do really appreciate all you guys coming up to me and uh, thanking me and uh, telling me how much you enjoy the radio show. That keeps uh, you know, that keeps me going more than anything. So look forward to seeing more of you at uh, Pipe Shows coming up this fall. Uh, but regard in regards to last week's show, Casey Ghost writes, really good show. I'm sure glad you like doing these podcasts because I enjoy listening to them. I hope the uh, Emmy, MEI and Mouse Fan Travel thing works out for you. Always difficult to change jobs as you get older. Uh, Alan Schwartz continues to be a most enjoyable guest. I look forward to more interviews with him. And I've got uh, probably another hour with him. Uh, and then Dino says, I truly enjoy the stories and tales of Alan Schwartz. I eagerly await the further adventures. He's an absolute treasure of pipe lore. May the Schwartz be with us. Yes, uh, quoting Mel Brooks. Thank you. Uh, then Dino goes on to say, you got to love what you do, so I'm happy with your new direction. Uh, I'm happy your new direction fits who you are. That's a terrific cover of Here Comes the Sun. And yes, you've played it before. So what? Okay, good. Uh, good music needs to be in constant rotation, kind of like a favorite pipe. As I said in my interview, I clean my pipes after every use. Yeah, I'm more than a little OCD, but as you pointed out, we wash our plates and dinnerware after every use. Uh, by the way, I was cleaning my Upshaw Zulu after a bowl of Samovar during the show. Happy trails, Dino. Uh, Dino, always glad to hear from you. And you know what? I, I clean my clothes after uh, each time I wear them, too. Uh, Down Home Smoker says, sorry for the radio silence last week. I was on vacation, so I didn't get a chance to comment. I wish you all, I wish you well in your new endeavor, and I'm glad you are pursuing what you enjoy. It, 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 is it just me, or has each Allen segment gotten progressively more interesting? Either way, great show and pleasant smokes. Yeah, they get more fun and fun and uh, more fun. Uh, and then uh, Pipe Smoking Biker says, Great show, Brian. I'm actually listening to this on the way home from the Columbus Pipe Show. Great interview. Alan always has something interesting to say. Great cover of Here Comes the Sun as well. And as for your rant, I have the same rant constantly. I've seen people never clean or ream their pipes, and eventually the size of the bowl is about the width of a cigarette butt. I also can't understand it when I see the same people bang their pipes on an ashtray like hammering a nail. It drives me up a wall. Uh, P.S. Love the Mickey Mouse tie. And uh, so that all of you know what he's talking about, I was uh, gifted a uh, an old, probably 1960s silk Mickey Mouse tie and uh, wore it around for about half the day. Uh, wore it around more as an ascot, but it was still cool. 
Um, Crash the Gray said, great show. I really hope we get to the point of Alan describing the difference between a blend and a mixture. Uh, he foreshadows a lot of stories, which I fear we will not hear. I've been amused by the number of times he says, that reminds me of another story. I'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, great music selection. Looking forward to tonight's show. Best of luck on your new beginning. I hope it brings back the joy of working. Uh, and let me let me tell you the uh, the big thing that I like about the uh, about the new venture as a independent uh, quote unquote independent travel planner is I work with who I want and I work when I want so I'm not going to be just taking on any clients um, you know and I'm and I'm going to help out those that are interested in uh, in a fun trip and work at my own pace. Um, which reminds me, if you're, you know, if you're looking at doing a cruise as we get into the colder months of winter here, you know, I'm the one that knows uh, which ships have the best indoor. Uh, I guess that most of them call them cigar lounges or smoking lounges. So, uh, you know, I've been on a few, and I and I can recommend the best ones for you. Uh, just reach out to me through uh, Brian at PipesMagazine.com or Facebook or. Uh, Brian.Levine at MEI-Travel.com. I know that's a uh, that's a bit of a wordy one. Uh, and then uh, finally, in uh, on Facebook, I got a message from Steve Davenport, and uh, Steve writes. Uh, let's see if I can get it. To, okay, let's get it to queue up here correctly. Uh, I've noticed a diff noticed differences in perceived. Uh, flavors before but the difference i noticed last night was quite surprising fortunately in a good way and here's what he said uh, he said have you ever given any thought to doing a pipe parts segment on how what one eats or drinks shortly before smoking a bowl or during might affect how one perceives the taste of a particular blend uh, we all know that bowl size can affect the taste or at least the way we perceive it and it shouldn't be any surprise that what one eats or drinks does also, but we don't seem to hear so much about that, or at least I don't. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a great point. Um, one of the things that I can tell you is for me in particular, if I'm dehydrated, you know, just don't have enough water or liquids in me, uh, my pipe doesn't taste as good. If I'm uh, eating like this this past couple of past month or so, I've been eating a lot of cherries. Well, for some reason, cherries and just the straight Virginia tobaccos don't go well together. So after I have my uh, you know my little bowl full of cherries, and then I might want to have some water and rinse out my you know clean my palate and uh, drink some you know drink some of it. Um, but you're right, food will affect. Uh, what you just ate will affect it because it's what's in your system that will affect how you taste uh, i would probably not want to uh you know not want to have a real spicy meal and then go after a uh, go after a real you know like an english blend a, a real smoky flavor um, pairing of drinks we've talked about that in the past how you Sometimes you want to compliment what you're smoking, or sometimes you want to uh, compare it with something that's completely different. So, 
a uh, a sweeter drink like bourbon with a less sweet tobacco so that way you get those two different flavors maybe a little sweet and a little sour something like that uh coffee and i would imagine like some of the fruit flavored aromatics probably not the best pairing uh the other thing that i'll tell you that affects how i taste tobacco is how am i feeling am i tired am i worn down nothing's gonna taste as good as if i've if i'm fully rested uh am i fighting off a cold or something obviously that's gonna affect it uh, uh you know it it all depends because you're mixing body chemistry uh you really want to screw with uh screw with your, your taste for a while you know what go to the dentist you go to the dentist you get your teeth cleaned you get your mouth cleaned and now you've got all these new flavors or new you know new things going on in there uh change to a uh, a really strong uh you know a really strong toothpaste and all of a sudden you've got a whole new flavor going on in there uh you know sometimes when i'm after i've done brushing my teeth and everything uh, just to get rid of that flavor i want another half a cup of coffee just to just to put the coffee flavor back in and get the pipe smoking tasting good again uh, so all this affects how we taste what we taste uh, you know the some of the best tasting bowls of pipe tobacco or cigars i've had have been yeah sitting on a beach overlooking the ocean the weather's perfect and it has absolutely nothing to do with the taste of the of the tobacco it has to do with the uh, mindset in the place and time and moment so yes it all affects it uh those couple of pipefuls and the drinks that i had with friends sitting out uh, outside at the columbus pipe show this weekend those were absolutely wonderful was it the tobacco had something to do with that but it was probably mostly the time and the place the fact that i was rested the fact that i had a big meal and was having some good drinks um, one thing I can't get to work with pipe tobacco at all is carbonated beverages. Carbonation just kind of kills my tongue and doesn't work well for me. So be interested to hear your thoughts. Remember, email me, Brian, at pipesmagazine.com. You can leave us a message on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook or pipesmagazine.com. Hundreds of ways to get a hold of me. If you don't hear from me in a day or so, Post it again, send it again, tweet it again, do whatever you got. All right, in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Smoky Mountains and the Bluegrass State. And while we're at it, uh, Purple Mountains Majesty. These are all things that we use to describe areas of our country. The Smoky Mountains are the range of mountains that run up and down the East Coast where the Appalachian Trail is. 
I've driven through them a lot. If you want to call them smoky, you're wrong. It's not smoke. They ought to be called the Misty Mountains or the Moist Mountains because it's actually just moisture burning off in off of the trees. It's not smoky. There's not a smoky thing about them. And if you don't get them on the right day, all they are is just mountains with trees on them. There's not even any moisty stuff coming up out of them or steam coming out of them. You go to Kentucky, it's called the Bluegrass State. Well, I didn't see any bluegrass. I didn't see any bluegrass. And our family was trying to tell us, oh, it's just the, the, the tips of the grass get a little blue hint to it. No, it looked like green grass to me. I think it's a sales trick. I think everything, all the grass, if you're gonna call yourself the Bluegrass State, ought to be bright blue and easy to see. Instead, it looked like green grass with weeds and you know other stuff growing in it, and it looked like a, it looked like a whole big pile of green grass. Didn't see anything blue. I've been all across the country, and the only time I've seen a purple mountain, well, I think when these people were naming these colors or things, you know, like Purple Mountains Majesty or even the Bluegrass State or the Smoky Mountains, it could have been 150 years ago, and who knows what was really in their pipe when they were seeing all this stuff, because... I've never seen a purple mountain. I've seen Purple Rain, that was a movie, but I've never seen a purple mountain. No, yeah, I've seen mountains smoking, but that hasn't been good, and it's not the smoky mountains. Those are the steamy hot mountains, and if you're out there in that steamy hot, boy, I'll tell you, it's not comfortable. So, all right, there you go. It's all a sales pitch, if you ask me. Uh, remember, continue sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends, with your enemies, with your family. Uh, keep posting stuff on Facebook, Twitter, all those uh, pipe forums that you go to. Send me comments and questions. Love getting those. And if you need any help with a vacation, give me a holler. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Stone for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to and no, he is not wearing fishnet stockings and high heels.